0: I am now offering professional development for pre-K through eighth grade educators, both in person and virtually. For more information about pricing and scheduling, go to LearnwithDoctorEmily.com/slash schools to get started. Welcome to Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast where parents and teachers come together for neurodivergent youth. I'm your host, Dr. Emily King, child psychologist and former school psychologist and I am on a mission to help everyone understand that nurturing neurodivergent children isn't about changing them, but about changing us. Each week, I share my thoughts on topics related to child development, mental health, parenting, education, and parent-teacher collaboration. You can read more on my Substack at learnwithdremily.substack.com or listen here. So let's get started with today's topic. Hey y'all, today we are gonna be talking about why a diagnosis is and isn't important. I believe that every kid and person deserves to understand how they learn. So let's dive in. In my work with parents of young children, many come to me after noticing some concerns with their child's developmental milestones. While all children develop at their own pace, some young children experience challenges with emotional regulation, language or motor milestones, and sensory processing that leave their parents wondering if they need an evaluation. Most parents already know that children need an evaluation to receive support services at school or a clinical diagnosis for insurance to cover therapeutic services. But some parents who pay out of pocket or privately for therapy services or enroll their child in a private school wonder sometimes, Is a diagnostic evaluation really necessary? The short answer is yes. An evaluation is the beginning of your journey in learning how to connect with and support your child and how to help others do the same. It tells us where to go next, and without it, we run the risk of our child being misunderstood by teachers and even therapists. Children continue to grow and change over time, so, having an evaluation in the preschool years can be incredibly important to look back on when your child is older. So, when you're deciding if it's time to schedule an evaluation, I always ask parents these questions One, is your child's behavior interfering with their ability to get quality sleep, connect with you, or engage in play? Two, Is their emotional overwhelm causing stress at times of transition, toileting, or eating? And three, are these lagging skills or behaviors getting in the way of your child getting to school or daycare in the morning, transitioning throughout their day, or developing new skills? If yes, then it's time to investigate. What are the lagging skills? What are their strengths? What are their emotional triggers? Answering these questions leads us to the plan for the best school fit, the best classroom placement, the best support at home, and the best targeted interventions. This path leads to your child feeling seen and understood. So what is the difference between a clinical diagnosis and an educational classification? Psychiatrists, psychologists, and other therapists are going to use the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders, 5th edition, to classify a diagnosis. So this, in short, is the DSM-5 TR, which is needed for insurance purposes. I'm with you. I don't like the term mental disorders either. But right now, autism, ADHD, and all the different anxiety disorders are listed in the DSM-5. According to the DSM-5 TR, there are three types of ADHD, the inattentive type, the impulsive, hyperactive type, and the combined type. There's one autism spectrum disorder with varying levels of severity, and multiple types of learning disabilities, and different types of anxiety and depressive disorders. On the other hand, there are only 13 educational classifications under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act, or IDEA, therefore, A child's educational classification is not as specific as their clinical diagnosis. So a school psychologist is going to evaluate for eligibility at school based on one of these educational classifications, but a clinician in private practice or developmental pediatrician or a psychiatrist is going to give a more specific diagnosis per the DSM-5TR. This is just fine for an educational classification to happen as long as everyone working with your child has access to an evaluation report that's comprehensive and fully explains your child's strengths and needs for support. Parent-teacher collaboration is beginning at this moment and is so important in your relationship to foster with your child's teacher and team during those early school years. So I just want to add a little note about special education in the United States. So Gen X and millennial parents may remember what special education services looked like when we were in school in the 80s or early 90s, and we may be thinking about it differently from the services that our children receive today. So Public Education Law 94-142, which is IDEA, is that our children should be educated in the least restrictive environment with their same age peers to the maximum extent possible. So you will have IEP meetings where you decide what your child is capable of to the maximum extent possible, but this is always balanced with the supports that they need. So do separate classrooms still exist for some kids? Yes. However, students with disabilities are included with their neurotypical peers as much as possible. So this is why I'm so passionate about helping all teachers, not just special educators, stay up to date on the evolving field of understanding neurodivergent learners. So some parents will come to me with some hesitation about an evaluation, so I want to talk a little bit about facing your fear of having your child labeled. If you are feeling resistant to having your child evaluated, I want to get real for a minute about your own fears. I have walked this path as a parent, so I understand how emotional the experience of an evaluation can be. It feels like you're about to open a door you can never close again. But just trust me, once you better understand your child's brain, you will never want to close the door. You will want to walk through it with your child and then help the rest of the world understand them better. Every parent experiences this phase differently. Some are so fearful to have their child labeled that they put off the child's evaluation altogether and delay much-needed services. I don't recommend that. Some parents will begin therapies to support their child's symptoms like speech and language delays or occupational sensory processing concerns. And some parents will begin these therapies, but this larger looming question of what explains their child's developmental needs remains. I've also worked with parents who have their child fully evaluated, but they wait until the child notices that they feel different to explain to them how their brain works. And then some families I work with sit their child down right after the evaluation and explain in a developmentally appropriate way what's going on and what they might notice. You will figure out what is best for your child. Just know that most parents I work with are so thankful for the detailed evaluation and recommendations of what to do next that comes in a report. Years later, parents, including myself, are so glad that we started the process when we did. Your child deserves to understand how they learn, and you can't help them understand it until you understand it first. I wanna say hi to all the teachers out there learning with me. Thank you so much for being an educator. I see you and appreciate you and how you keep showing up for our students every single day. In my work as a school psychologist, I know that it helps to have a way to stay organized when thinking about your students' needs. That's why I created two free resources for you. The Regulation Roster helps you notice how your students seek emotional regulation and keep track of it, and the Reframing Behavior Worksheet helps you problem-solve emotional dysregulation when it happens. For these free downloads, go to learnwithdremily.com roster, or learn with slash reframingbehavior to get started. I wanna welcome any parents who are new to this journey. If your child has just been identified as autistic or diagnosed with ADHD, learning differences, or is twice exceptional, welcome. You are in the right place. You may also be overwhelmed by all the calls and emails you're having to make to providers as you're building your child's team. That's why I created the Referral Tracker, which is a free download at learnwithdreemily.com tracker. This free resource explains what each provider does and gives you a template to keep track of all your research. Just go to learnwithdreemily.com tracker to get started. I want to talk too for a minute about your child's inner experience versus observable behavior that happens in an evaluation. In recent years, many autistic teens and adults, as well as those diagnosed with ADHD, have been sharing their lived experiences more openly through writing blogs and sharing their perspectives on social media. In my own training for conducting evaluations, all data collected is based on a clinician's observations or a caregiver's description of the child's observable behavior but we're beginning to learn more and more about the lived experience of neurodivergence by listening to first-person accounts. Of course, many children do not have the self-awareness, insight, or language skills to express what they experience yet, but once they do, we need to listen. Your child's description of sensory overwhelm or anxiety related to academic demands is not only valid, but highly informative to those working with them, especially if their experience doesn't match their outward behavior due to masking. So what is a diagnosis and what is it not? So while a diagnosis does not change your child, it should change the perspective of everyone who is working with them. If a child was considered difficult or non-compliant before the diagnosis, now they are seen as having difficulty due to a skill weakness, or if they were resistant due to anxiety or or sensory activities before, we can understand why they're backing away from that thing. A teacher may have misunderstood a sensory meltdown as acting out behavior, but after a diagnosis, we have more information to get curious about what triggered a stress response. A child who was described as aloof or self-directed before an evaluation now has parents and teachers who understand that solo play helps them regulate. Now they leave solo play uninterrupted and learn how to support emotional regulation and engagement before dysregulation happens. So remember, no two people are the same. No two children are the same. Not even two children with the same clinical diagnosis or educational classification are the same. A comprehensive evaluation will outline your child's individual differences, but a diagnosis will not. What we must all understand is that the diagnosis is never the finish line. It is not where we stop asking questions because we think we understand the child based on one word or phrase. The diagnosis is the starting line where we begin to understand and ask more questions about how to support, teach, and connect with a child. Only then can we begin understanding how they learn so we can explain it to them one day when they are ready. So How do we change our mindset? Parents will say to me, I don't want him to be labeled because I don't want his teacher to expect less of him. The truth, however, is that many problematic behaviors are actually a child's stress response to teachers and parents expecting too much. A quality evaluation will outline your child's individual skills and weaknesses so that you know where to add support and structure for weaker skills while continuing to encourage and develop strengths and areas of interest. Imagine the child who is very intelligent, but who cannot emotionally regulate themselves in order to learn in a classroom. No one can learn without first feeling emotionally safe, which first requires us to connect, trust, and engage with those who are teaching us. Think about how you feel when you are really stressed. Not much thinking or learning happens until you feel calm again, right? How would you feel sitting in a classroom where the instructor is only speaking a language you don't speak? You'd be pretty disengaged, right? We wouldn't expect much from you in that circumstance until you could understand what's being asked of you. If you were required to participate without the necessary skills, you would likely feel anxious, avoid engaging, or quit altogether. So sometimes lower demands are exactly what a child needs to feel satisfied with their progress. So I want you to remember that prior to a diagnosis, there's often confusion about what a child can do versus what a child is choosing to do. After the diagnosis, you enter a world where behaviors are seen as stress responses to be solved rather than your child's choice of making your day harder. When you fully accept your child's neurodivergence, you walk through a figurative door and on the other side of that door is more understanding of your child's strengths, interests and knowledge of what they need to thrive. And trust me, it's better over here. This has been Learn with Dr. Emily, the podcast. For more resources, including both parent, teacher, and school resources, visit learnwithdreemily.com or read my substack at learnwithdrimily.substack.com. Also, we are publishing this podcast weekly, so make sure you're subscribed by pressing the plus, follow, or subscribe button on whatever podcast app you're using right now. This podcast is edited by EarFluence. All information discussed on this podcast is for educational purposes only. If you have immediate concerns about your child, please reach out to a mental health or medical professional. I'm Dr. Emily King, and we will keep learning together next week.